All right, so after spending a lot of time in the original series in TNG, which told us that you're never going to run into the Enterprise before TOS happens, at least. We're running into the uh, the Klingons quite a bit at, at this. I don't know if I said Klingons first, but we're running into the Klingons quite frequently. Here's an- another Klingon episode. Um, generally, Clay, do you like the Klingons or dislike the Klingons? Uh, in this show or just in general? In general. Maybe in general and in this show, I guess. That would be a good way to lead um, into this episode. Yeah, they're fine. Uh, I feel like they are, uh, there's a, huh, uh, they, they feel like they kind of do their thing. Uh, they don't really expand them too much generally. Um, in, in, in this show, it's like, you know, it seems, it seems weird that they keep running into the Klingons, but it's like, you know, you meet somebody at a party and, uh, then all of a sudden you're seeing that person on the street and, uh, you don't take down their number. There's no evidence that you ever met this person. Yeah, and it's always like someone that you never plan on talking to again, like a friend of a friend, and then you end up running into them at the supermarket, and you have to be like, "Oh, he- oh, yeah, yeah, when's two? Yeah, met on Saturday. That's fun. <laughs> well, all right, see you later." And then you run into them at the bank again, and then by the time you see them again at the party, you you know, you're spent. Yeah, you're you done with these people. You, you don't need to see them ever again. You talk to them more than you've seen your mother in the past month. <laughs> Yeah, we're doing uh, Sleeping Dogs here, which is this episode. Then we're going to be talking about the Klingons, the, the Klingons again. I, I think that um, we we sound like a couple sleeping dogs right now I know. between the two <laughs> of us. So it's, it's, <laughs> they, they should have let me lie. I will. Um, I've had a I've had a, a fraught morning of running around. And now uh, we got a little bit behind the curtain. We I get back here and the kids have like unplugged everything from the computer, so it took a little mm. while to set up. We had one failed recording where my headphones weren't working. Everything seems to be going now, but I don't know if Sleeping Dogs is the episode to pull us out of this malaise that we've started off with for this podcast, but we'll get into it. Let's take a break. We'll play a quote from the episode, and then we'll get into Sleeping Dogs. They're still alive. We should leave before they regain consciousness. And what if they don't? The atmosphere's going to crush this shit like an eggshell pretty soon. Shouldn't we try to help them? They don't want our help. How do you know? They're Klingons. To die at their post assures them a path to the afterlife. If we rescue them, they'd be dishonored. Well, I, for one, don't intend to just fly off and let these people die. Honorable deaths or not. Your compassion is admirable, but misguided. If they awake and find us on their ship, they'll kill us. All right, so Sleeping Dogs is the 14th episode of the first season of Star Trek Enterprise. It came out on January 30th, 2002. Written by Fred Decker old friend Fred Decker, directed by Les Landau. I believe this is his Hmm. only Enterprise directing credit. He's a prolific Trek director. In this episode, while exploring a gas giant, Enterprise finds the wreck of a Klingon scout vessel sinking into the atmosphere. And that's it. So we're going to talk about the Enterprise going to a Klingon vessel, saving them, saving the day. Firing some torpedoes. This is a buckle in. This is well. What's funny about this episode is that it's. Enterprise is like giving a real test, a real pressure test to my rating system because, mm. like, to not spoil anything, I think this is a straight three, but it feels yeah. worse than a three while you're yeah. watching it, you know. And there's nothing really wrong with it. It's just, it's one of those episodes I walk away at the end and I go like, "What was the point of that? Really? Like, right. there's like yeah. it's a, which sounds more dismissive because it's a fine little adventure thing, like solve a minor problem." deal with the Klingons, but it feels so 
trite and unimportant in the grand scheme of things that if it's not going to be some sort of galaxy-changing event, you at least think that it would have a little bit more going on under the hood than what's there. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. maybe the most thing, the the deepest thing you could say this episode does is is that it shows that Archer is learning how to deal with the Klingons a little bit. But sure, th- the episode isn't really focused on that. It's not like Archer's like plight or trying to figure out like how do I negotiate with these people that have nothing in common with me. That's just kind of a little aside B story stuck onto it and. The rest of it just isn't all that interesting because with its prequel nature, we kind of know about the Klingons. So seeing T'Pol and them walking around on a Klingon ship is no great shakes. The, my, the one thing that I did think before going to you while watching this is that I wish that this had almost been the first Klingon episode and mm. you had not seen the Klingons to this point. So while they were walking around on the ship before they find the Klingons, you kind of, you, you know, they're talking about, like, oh, it's a Klingon ship. And you as a viewer go, oh, I know the Klingons. Because it was kind of creepy, which Enterprise does well while they're on this ship where they, like, the Klingons hang up like butchered meats and everything like that. And it's got like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe to it in some ways. Like it's a very dark, scary place to be. And if you hadn't seen the Klingons to that point, you, you're kind of anxious with anticipation about what they might look like. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're I think you're right. Um because the Klingons are the most well-known next to probably the Vulcans of Star Trek species. And uh I think doing what you're saying could if you if you play it in a manner where you have the Enterprise crew um encountering these things for the first time you have a chance to recontextualize and make the Klingons scary again. Yeah. Uh, in their alienness, because if they're of all the groups that they've met so far, theoretically the Klingons are the most aggressive and scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, you know, the, some of the, some of the other ones are weird looking and stuff, but it's no one, no one has the, has had the innate aggression that the Klingons have. Um, so seeing that, for the first time, I think could have been really cool. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, it's... I think in the last episode, maybe, we talked about um, how this show has handled prequel-type stuff fairly well, and it doesn't feel too much like they're winking at the camera when they do it. Yeah, This one very much felt in the opposite direction because it was, yeah, it was a lot of... This is Gach. This is this oh, is a photon Kapla. torpedo. Yeah, photon torpedoes. What's that? Um, Which actually doesn't that- make. I, I don't really. I don't really like that. Like the the term. Even the term photon torpedo sounds like there's no reason that humans wouldn't invent that. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. a. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I just thought that that was strange. That that, that everything seems to be all of their. A lot of their technology seems to be assimilated from other cultures at this point, which is which right. is which is fine for like the holodeck and stuff. Like I'm kind of going along with it, but when you when you've reached the fourth or fifth thing that they're like, yeah, this is new alien tech that we're going to slowly take over and call our own thing. It's like, well, did they develop anything really at this point? Like, what's what's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> realistically, I think the photon torpedo and the holodeck are two things that uh, um, humans would have invented themselves a long long time ago yeah because if if there's a possibility to create a better weapon or some more efficient way of wasting time and or you know 
having virtual sex. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think they Humans we would have invented that. We would invent that way before we invented the warp drive. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it it feels kind of hacky. It feels like it's just an excuse to do some Klingon stuff that doesn't really hold a lot of water because it's not presented in any particularly interesting way. It is the ship is kind of creepy, but. That kind of goes away fairly quickly. Um, Once they find them, it's like when yeah. all the Klingons are just passed out, and you're like, "Oh, okay." There's no. Yeah, I I I didn't realize Fred Decker wrote it. Um, I kind of knowing that I I'm a little bit more disappointed because I kind of expected something. I would expect something a little weirder. I guess. Yeah. Um, I was thinking I of a lot of just like. It was just a fantasy on the way to build it, but if you've never seen the Klingons before, they can kind of be sort of scurrying around on the ship, and like you're seeing glimpses of them or something like that, and you're not really mm-hmm. sure what they are. Um, that doesn't really fit with how the Klingons are portrayed in this era of Trek, but I just I just think it's there's a uh, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. There's an episode of Doctor Who from I don't know a couple of years ago. I think it's called Cold War. I can't remember. Uh, but it reintroduces this villain from the original series, like the 70s era series, that I had never seen before. So I didn't know anything about it. But it's apparently a fairly well-known uh, villain who hadn't been on screen in like 30 or 25 years or something. And the way that they introduced this kind of silly, uh, traditionally silly-looking character was in this... Uh, by having a Russian submarine discover it frozen in the ice and then it breaks loose and kind of uh, ends up going sort of uh, alien around the, the submarine. Yeah. And I thought they – and that's – I feel like that's a, a really interesting way to, to reintroduce something like that where you take this thing that's kind of maybe kind of silly and fairly well-known and you're recontextualizing it in a way that's that brings a, a bit more edge back to it. Um. And yeah, they didn't. They haven't. They haven't really done that with the Klingons. The Klingons are just the Klingons. The Vulcans are just the Vulcans. Yeah. Um, I don't know what other. I, the Indo, I guess the Andorians are probably the most interesting ones that they've tackled from the the previous show so far. Yeah, in terms of being new information about what they're supposed are, to be. Have do uh, is it possible to see Romulans in this show, or or do the Rom is the first interaction with the Romulans in TOS? TOS, it should be. Although I think that the the they've, I I'm pretty sure the Klingons have broken that as well. I think the Klingons are supposed to not be seen until TOS or something like that. But the the balance of terror they make the um the plot is built around that they've never seen them, so they don't know that they look like Vulcans. Really, like that's the big reveal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they so, they they know of them, but they've never seen them. Right. Yes, and I is that the deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm I might be confusing Enterprise, or maybe this is just sort of like accepted canon. But they they had um. They've had audio transmissions with the Romulans, but they've never seen what they look like or something. Because the, mm-hmm. the everyone's disappointed in Enterprise that it never gets to the quote unquote Romulan War, which is ha- supposed to happen right after Enterprise ends. But that was supposed uh. to be built around this whole thing that they were fighting an enemy that they never saw and never knew what they looked like. Which I think is funny because you'd think that the vol- <laughs> you turn to a Vulcan on your ship and go, "Do you know what the Romulans look like?" And go, yeah, just like me. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's another- what? It's like yeah, it's part of it's the same. Don't worry about it. They, they just look like us. Yeah, it's another um, another example of uh, the the Vulcan should share divulge some information or something. I guess that they mm. don't really do at that point. So if you ever think that you're like, 
if Starfleet is hiring a Vulcan to be its head of security on Earth, you might want to like double check to make sure it's not also <laughs> some sort of Romulan from some sort of weird death cult. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you um I I guess we should stick to this episode, but I mean I I, was, I think I think I uh Malcolm should be reprimanded for leaving the keys in the car on the the shuttlecraft. <laughs> Because they just they just walk right in, she just waltzes onto the shuttlecraft and takes off. It was it was kind of a comedy angle to that, right? Like she runs out and shuts the door, and immediately immediately here the shuttlecraft just fly off. There's like no uh, <laughs> there's no timing where she has to get on it and start the thing up and get it on. She just shuts the door, it flies off, and they go. What, what happens to that? Where do you go? Do you did you ever leave your keys in the car like on purpose? Like you, instead of taking them with you, put them in the glove compartment or something? Uh, not usually. No, I, you don't do that. No. Right? Okay. Right. Yeah. Is that, uh, yeah. Our, our, uh, mutual friend, Dave, who's been on the star Wars show before, uh, I guess he was just a lot more trusting when he was a younger lad. Mm-hmm. Cause there was a period of a couple years where he just would leave his keys in the car. Yeah. Car unlocked keys in the car right in full view. And, um, he did that until his car got stolen. <laughs> and I don't think he does that anymore. You do. You just do the trick of you hide the keys on the tire, like, and no one will ever, no one will ever find yeah. the keys. That's that's. Just, <laughs> or you know, lock the door and put them in your pocket like a normal person. Yeah, I know. Well, the um, <laughs> the Klingon and he left like two hundred dollars worth of paintball equipment in the back of it when they recovered the car. No, when he when when the, when it was stolen, yeah, it had like two hundred dollars worth of paintball gear. In oh, it. so not only did he leave it in the car. But he left the car unlocked and the keys in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a trap you're expecting at that point. Yeah. I uh, the only well the only thing that's really the only thing that really drives me towards any kind of interest in sleeping dogs is um, Archer learning how to deal with the Klingons, which I think is is fairly effective in terms of um, he has to modulate his usual very accommodating self into more of a threatening persona when he's dealing with them mm-hmm. um and i don't i don't mind that i i don't know something something about it feels hollow or empty really where it it doesn't feel like there's a real thematic lesson for archer here or that this is something that he is struggling with it feels like he just someone has to clue him in with you kind of have to pretend to be mean to these guys and then they'll like they'll they'll listen to you and so he yeah, did, that he, worked out worked out well in the uh, the the Vulcan War in the first episode of Discovery. I know Discovery Discovery <laughs> for, yeah they should have um, they should have they, they, retroactively uh, that's all entirely Archer's fault. Yes, they should ADR in some line about that about leaving them alone. But it's um or firing on them first, not leaving them alone. Mm. I I just I almost would I would have liked the episode if it had been about that a little bit more. If it had been about sort of realizing that you have to. You have to work within the bounds of what you're given here and that the Klingons aren't going to be reactive to your sort of pleasant, like, let's all work together and get the ship out of there. Um, that's somewhat interesting, but too much of the episode is just spent on to Paul, this sort of non-drama drama of being stuck on the ship that's sinking. Mm. And it's like, eh, you, you know, there's not enough going on on the ship to make that interesting. Yeah, I agree. I I don't even really know what they were doing most of the time on the, like it's 
they were just doing busy work. Yeah. Uh, trying to active, like watching people try to decipher a language in real time. It's yeah. not riveting television. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it says wall. Could that mean hull? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, it could. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's not. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what to say. Like it's, I, I agree with what you said at the beginning where this show is odd it, it, it is it is an outlier in that a lot of these episodes are just straight down the middle threes but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good yeah they they, they are competently made competently put together there's nothing wrong with the script like there's not a, a big leap in logic or anything or, or anything ridiculous that uh characters it, act like they're supposed to yeah. like everyone's everyone's functioning like they need to it's just yeah. it's, it's missing the skeleton is there it's just kind of missing a soul to it really or like yeah. a, like a reason why the skeleton I, exists i you know i found myself wondering towards the end of this is this a symptom of the shift at the time from episodic to more serialized stuff because as i'm watching this i am thinking to myself what the hell is what's the point of, why are they doing this why why did they decide to tell this this story um there's not really anything really engaging there's like you said there's a couple interesting ideas at least as far as archer uh learning to deal with the klingons and changing his approach and stuff that's kind of that's kind of fun but ultimately they're, the Klingon's going to go back to his ship or her ship. Uh, the the crew is going to come back to the Enterprise. Nothing of consequence is gained or lost. And yep. we haven't really learned anything about any characters along the way. It's all sort of just a reset back to zero. And I found myself wondering if maybe this is feeling the strain of the episodic approach running its course. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I don't know. I think it's. I think a lot of it for stories like this. I think Enterprise being a prequel hampers stories like this because yeah, it's it's not it's it is a reset back to zero because they have to in order for the timeline to make sense. But it's also it's not a very satisfying place to get to in terms of like, if you're not going to focus on what Archer learns from this and why it's important that Archer learns something when you get to the end of it and he knows how to do it, you're like, okay, so for the next 200 years, this is kind of it. Like it it just doesn't feel like that's a big enough event for that to really be Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's worth exploring as a prequel series that you kind of learn. You have to talk mean to the Klingons or something. Yeah. And it's, I, I feel like they're not, they're not taking advantage of the situations that they're setting up really. Cause you've got three crew members caught on this, on this, uh, on this Klingon ship that is slowly imploding and they're like sweating to death cause it's so hot. Yeah. And the tensions among the crew never go anywhere. They're they're They never become, you know, uncivil with each other. Uh, they wasted their cold open on a setup for I, a stink gag. Well, you know? No, that wasn't even the cold open is the gun scene, which makes less sense. Where Hoshi's training with a phaser. Oh, does he not? Do they not set up the, him no, having a cold? His cold is after that. It's after the credits, so it's not even the cold open makes honestly no oh. sense to me whatsoever. Why it's included in this? I thought 
I thought they I thought they mentioned him having a cold. Okay, yeah, you're, maybe you're right. But if that's the case, then yes, the the cold open makes even less sense. But you've I'm I was shocked that they had these three characters in this high pressure situation and didn't actually make the pressure high. Yes, you know you could have yeah if if you've got take three characters who are uh you know um Hoshi Hoshi wants to go on the on the away team. Uh, so she goes to Archer and says, I want to go on the away team. And then Archer's like, well, actually, T'Pol wanted you to come on the away team. Have Archer say, T'Pol doesn't want you on the away team. Right. She doesn't think that you're ready to do this, and that, but I do, so I'm going to send you on the away. Or she's like, oh, no, I, I am ready. I know how to speak different languages. You know, <laughs> We're going to this thing. Who knows yeah. what kind of language they might speak? You're going to need me. And Archer reluctantly says, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So now you've got this dynamic setup where you know they're setting up and – then, then when she's looking, uh, looking at the suit, to Paul's comment is a little bit more biting. Yeah. In terms of thinking that Hoshi can't hack it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you get to the ship and stuff starts literally imploding, you can dial up the tension between to Paul and Hoshi about you know who who thinks who is in, is doing the right job and Hoshi can't hack it and oh I thought you could read Klingon well reading or under, listening to Klingon is a lot different than reading it yeah. asshole you know yeah. it, it's it's there's nothing there. You know, it's just an excuse to run down a list, a checkmark list of Klingon stuff. Yeah, it's almost it, plot wise. It feels like it's just an excuse to kill time. Like it's like it's like these yeah. mild conflicts that are like, yeah, sure, you can come on the away team too. I would have, um, I would have liked something where a little bit more hostility between Hoshi and T'Pol kind of makes sense because. What I did one scene that I genuinely did like, and I sort of see it as a, um, I saw it as a return to form in the same way that the lightsaber battle fight in a, at the end of Force Awakens in the snow. That that mm-hmm. like I really mm-hmm. like that lightsaber fight because it's actually is the first time once they wrested control away from Lucas where uh, a Jedi has to kind of meditate or calm down in order to sure. become strong, and it's not about getting angrier at that point. I really like to Paul showing that the Vulcans are basically just mindfulness practitioners where Hoshi is wrong about them repressing their kind of Hoshi's wrong about them in the way that she describes her reacting to emotion as if she has none to Paul shows her that it's really just sort of a outlook on life that she chooses to have, which is like a meditative uh, desire to repress things and that they are feeling something underneath all of that. I really like that scene just because if you if they had built up to that moment where Hoshi had spent the entire episode thinking something wrong about DePaul and was like, you know, was, or sort of sees a weakness in herself that she wishes she didn't have because DePaul doesn't have that weakness, DePaul learning her, telling her and teaching her how to calm down feels like a good character moment for those two. Yeah. But yeah. it just it doesn't it's not built to that moment. It's just a it's just kind of a neat scene that they have outside of everything else. Yeah, it's uh it's 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 closer to like that scene in Picard where uh, Soji, um, is that the one on the the Borg cube? Soji, da, da, was that Dodge? Dodge, right? Whatever. <laughs> the one who's on the Borg cube <laughs> has that one-off scene where she talks to that friend she's working with that we never see again. Yeah, yeah. And the friend is like, "Oh man, it's crazy to be here. Isn't that Romulan hot?" And like, "Yeah, he is pretty hot." Like, it, there's no connection. There's no. There's no uh, uh, character payoff to to what you're seeing it's yeah. just a uh, it's just two co-workers and one co-worker being like man it would be cool not to have emotions huh because yeah, yeah. i'm freaking out 
The other one's like, yeah, it's not that bad. It's it's yeah, and if you have the two of them at odds, uh, and part of them being at odds is Hoshi believing that Vulcans are just cold and uncaring and and don't affect anything. Yeah. Then when Topal actually breaks for 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 sake of argument, breaks Vulcan uh, truth. Not tradition, but standard operating procedure to yeah. teach her this, you know, mindfulness technique. That I think it it has a lot more weight to it because I I, I think that they think that's a main theme here. Because to me, uh, the ending decontamination scene almost makes no sense with what comes before. I didn't even I didn't even understand what was going on. I because I, I didn't I didn't realize that the decontamination chamber was some sort of like. Is it always? A calming thing, or is it just supposed to be the, the the situation they were in was so harrowing and so smelly and so disgusting <laughs> that they just want to stay in the decontamination chamber for another half an hour? I think it's unclear, and I think that's because they don't layer the story properly leading up to that. Yeah. So my sense at the end of it is that they've all kind of become closer and are enjoying time with each other. And Paul has mm. the most revealing line where she says it's pleasant in here, right. which is sort of hinting at the fact that she has learned something from them. But it really just comes across as very strange and like they're being uh like they're being derelict of their duty or something by wanting to just kind of hang out in there for no particular reason. It's just it really it really doesn't mash or mesh well with the stuff that leads before, which leads me to just think that the storyline that they think is going on uh is supposed to culminate in showing that scene as kind of like the end result and this is how they've changed. But it just comes across as kind of odd and out of place in, in the context of the rest of the episode. It was also very awkwardly blocked. Yeah. Because you've got it was I think it's it felt to me like everyone in that scene was actively uh like for, for lack of a better just like sucking it in. Yes. Because <laughs> you've got but in different ways, because you've got the two women who are sitting there with their like shoulders sitting straight up shoulders back yeah. making sure their chest is out as far as possible yeah and then you've got malcolm next to them who's like crunched over <laughs> like he's trying to flex his abs <laughs> to show his abs off and it's very unnatural looking scene and they're trying to like relax but malcolm is clearly doing that th- that thing where he's like i gotta make this look good for camera <laughs> <laughs> he's in a hard place he's he's also leaning on hoshi strangely like he's kind of like leaning against her it's, it's just a yeah it's it's <laughs> There's only so much you can say about those decontamination scenes, but that one, it just really stuck out to me as I wasn't sure why they were having it uh, by the end of it. And it is oddly blocked and it is just like, it's clearly the show just sexing it up because the um, same thing for uh, the little outfits that they wear when they're on the Klingon ship, but they take off their major outfit, like astronaut suits, and they're just wearing like skin tight onesies underneath it. Yeah. it just you know it's it's two women and Malcolm running around in sort of a skin tight cat suit for for most of it, and you can see you can see what the direction or the choice was there i also you know i don't i I go back and forth on the it's dumb that they take their helmets off thing um you know i I know people use that as an ex- as a, a criticism for a lot of sci fi stuff, but this was one where <laughs> I was thinking. You've determined one of your thoughts is that there's an airborne pathogen knocking everybody out, but yeah. you, it's fine to keep your helmets off. Yeah, I don't know. I would I would double check that before you start taking off your shit. But 
it's just the speed of doing it. It's like they step on and they like scan this. He goes, There's a, it seems okay. They're like, good, let's get our yeah. helmets off. It's, they do the same, keep it on they for do a the little same bit. thing. They do the same thing in this that they do in Prometheus, mm. which is they well they they step out and they go. I think the air's fine, and one guy just takes his helmet off. And goes, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's they just. I guess they really don't don't like helmets or something like that. Obviously, for production value, you want the yeah. I mean, off as I mean it makes possible. sense. I don't I don't blame them. It's the same the same reason why every superhero movie it involves the hero taking his mask off at some yeah, point is yeah. so you can see the actor's face. Yes. They've gotten a lot better at that as CGI has gotten better cuz uh it used to be really awkward the way in the Spider-Man movies but they would have to come up with a way for Spider-Man's mask to be damaged enough that yeah. he pulls it off of his face. Yeah. But now it's all like that Peter Quill thing where you hit a button and it goes Yes. You know. Yeah. just the uh it's so easy that Iron Man would be at a disadvantage to not take his, mask, his helmet off every three seconds when he's talking to somebody for whatever reason. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. No, the um, the Raimi ones are definitely every chance you get, Spider-Man's mask has to be damaged so you can see his eyes or his real eyes or you can see his mouth or something like that. Yeah. I You know, I get it. It is it is difficult to emote through a mask. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, they managed actually to not do it in the bat, in the Chris Nolan Batman movies. He never That's in costume takes his mask off. Yeah, uh, which is actually fairly unique, given the way that they usually do that. Yeah, that's true, and it's a big deal when um, uh, Bane cracks his helmet. Is actually kind of a it's right. Like a, it's yeah. like an important marker of yeah. something. Let's talk about that movie instead, because this episode is pretty boring. We can, we can we can repeat our our criticism of the uh, the plane scene, which is may, maybe one of the worst blockbuster <laughs> scenes i've ever seen in my life because the that action scene is, awful. is so good the action's so good but the dialogue in that scene is some of the worst dialogue i've ever heard in a movie yeah it's it feels um we've talked we'll have to cover that movie at some uh, that movie at some point it's just that 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 it just feel that whole scene feels to me like the editor got it and he's like where did half of the coverage go like why why is yeah. there so little because everything feels so <laughs> choppy that it was like put together incorrectly or he had limited options with what he could put stuff together. It's just like... Imagine imagine if you were uh, a prisoner of the FBI and you're being transported on a plane somewhere and they haven't really talked to you about anything. You don't really know, know what's going on. And then the first thing that happens is they grab you and hang you out a doorway and say, tell me about Bane. Tell me why he wears a mask. <laughs> what? And then he shoots the gun over the guy's ear, I think. Yeah. It's like, why Why did you, you threaten to throw him out of the plane? Why are you firing yeah, his the gun? Head's, his head's already sticking out the window. He probably doesn't even <laughs> register that you're shooting a gun by him. And why? Do, who cares why Bane wears a mask? Yeah. It never comes up again. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I know. <laughs> I, um... Is this the worst episode of Enterprise so far? Uh, I, it's, uh, it's tough because it's not like inherently bad. It's not like a bad episode. And maybe that's what makes it bad, I guess, is that it is so bleh. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fine. It's, uh, if you're, if it, it is the equivalent of the white noise sound on the Enterprise. Yeah. You know, it, it's, yeah. If if you put it on in the background just because you want to watch Star Trek while you're doing something else, it's fine. Yeah. 
But if you are paying attention to it and you want to watch an hour of riveting TV, this is not where I would go. <laughs> yeah, it's – I mean – It's funny to me that we were so high on the episode where they go down to the asteroid and don't nothing happens. They just – we were like, I hope nothing happens. I just hope that they just do their job. They get the data. And just get, get, get back there. to the thing. And 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 this one – more or less is about that it about that interesting and it's just not working. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is there. Well, breaking the ice was there was stuff going on under the surface of breaking the ice. It it, mm-hmm. it wasn't um it wasn't this which is the, the the problem with this one is that it is a we've talked about this before I think it's 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 this new kind of like action sequence that they're doing where it's uh, this is the plot version of a useless fist fight in a movie. It's like sure. you're just kind of doing it to kill time and it doesn't feel like there's really anything going on. And in some ways, I, I think you could argue that this is a discovery plot that's told at the pace of a 90s Star Trek episode. <laughs> it's just like, okay. you're like you're like, oh, they have photon torpedoes. Okay, that's good to know. And then it's yeah. like, we'll fire that off. It'll shoot us up. They're like, okay, track down that Klingon. Get her. Talk to her. That's true. The The idea that they, they do the photon torpedoes, what's that? And then their plan is to just blow a bunch of them up so they can hopefully move themselves up into orbit. Yeah, does fly feel up very discovery. That feels very much like a discovery plot. Yes. It, it's just, it, it feels like, it just feels like <clears throat> plot points that are building to sort of like keep the thing mo- in motion. Like you have to keep yeah. going. You got to keep going. So while the pacing here is slow and it doesn't feel like it has discovery sort of uh, bang whiz approach to telling stuff incredibly fast, it just feels empty in a way that when you you look back on it, you go like, well, yeah, it was just a lot of like A leads to B, B leads to C, and then we're done by the end of it. And it's too bad because unlike discovery, I think that there's a lot of stuff that you could go into here. We talked about DePaul and Hoshi is something you could mm-hmm. you talk about Archer learning a lesson. Um Trip feels mindless in this episode, really. Like, Trip feels like yeah. it could be random crewmen coming in and telling stuff like this. It doesn't feel like it's any, there's no part of Trip's character that I felt was honestly portrayed in this one. He's just there to say dialogue. Yeah, Trip's, the highlight for Trip in this episode is when he has to go and, and use the, uh, the UTI. Was that what it, no, <laughs> not the UTI. They just call it the UT. Oh, the, the yeah, the UT, the Universal Translator. Is that, yeah, yeah, he has to uh, he has to go over and use the Universal Translator, and he starts fumbling around like he's trying to program a VCR. Yeah, and then Archer <laughs> just kind of looks at him like, "What the fuck, man? <laughs> this is why I don't send Hoshi on these things." I could try to um, route it for you, Captain. Yeah, it, it was not burning when he was peeing, but he was trying to trying to deal with uh, the Universal Translator. And I, yeah, you know, there's stuff for there's stuff for that, like. Trip not having responsibility that he's used to is kind of grounds for yeah. something. Or like, if they never managed to, well, they already would, they already showed what it's like to not communicate with the Klingons because that's what Broken Bow uh, Broken Bow was about. But just something along those lines, and the Klingons themselves aren't nuanced enough here. I don't think it's just like cool. You tried to you tried to shoot at us. Like we we dislike you. And right. Like no I- dumbass, you drank the tainted booze. I actually liked the ending when uh, the Klingons are considering attacking them. Yeah. I th- I liked that because that felt very much like a Klingon thing to do where they end up 
uh, sort of essentially doing what T'Pol said at the beginning about like if you know, saving them is actually a, a dishonor. So they're going to try and get their honor back by fi- either either destroying the Enterprise or being destroyed by the Enterprise in yeah. order to have an honorable death. I, I like that, but you know that was two minutes at the end of the episode. It wasn't really enough to uh, to save it. The, yeah, um, that, that would be that would be is another. It's a recurring theme of how to make this episode a tragedy. Is that after mm. they save the Klingons, the Klingons, in order to restore their honor, attack the Enterprise, and the Enterprise actually destroys the ship out of self defense. You know, so it's all it's or like, even it's all for not even something even uh, you know th- th- their ship is not exactly uh, operating at a hundred percent. Maybe they try to do some. Maybe they're setting things up and they're oh, the they're charging their weapons and Malcolm or whoever looks over and goes, sir, if they fire those weapons, they're in a position where it's going to cause a chain reaction. They're going to explode. Yeah, yeah. And so Arch is like, hey, don't shoot us. You are in bad shape. Wait for reinforcements or you're going to blow up. And they go, ah, blah, blah, and they hit yeah. the button and they just blow up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind but that, I, actually. Yeah. Eh, it's kind of fun. You know, a different, different way to do it. Uh, I was thinking about the difference between this and breaking the ice. And I think what it is, why that had a different feel than this does is breaking the ice they are going and they are doing a job that has a definite uh goal to it so that's their goal their goal is we got to go down there we got to take a core sample we got to come home and just watching them do that was oddly enough yeah and i'm and i and so everything that stops them because there's no character anything really there's no tension there's nothing on that asteroid you just kind of want them it's kind of interesting to watch them do this job and then come back so when they start uh needlessly having people twist their ankle yeah and then having <laughs> giant cracks in the ice appear out of nowhere it feels kind of forced yeah whereas in this one you are actively from the outset putting your characters into an unknown situation that uh that lends itself to drama and intrigue. So the fact that they don't do any of that is, I think what makes it so boring. Yeah. There's no, it's, there's no payoff for this, uh, potentially this tense situation that they've put everybody in. It just turns into doing invent, essentially going around and doing inventory on the ship. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's a, it's and it's a also, they, they have, there's a distinct lack of, uh, tension between the the plots too because that you've got uh whatever's going on 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 the um the klingon ship where they're trying to de- they're trying to decipher klingon because the hull's starting to crack or whatever and it should be a uh excuse me a fairly high tension situation and then they hard cut to archer like squinting at a at a, a <laughs> computer screen page. going yeah, the Wikipedia page for Klingons going, huh, so they eat worms. That's interesting. <laughs> you know, it says, Trip, come over here. This is real weird. It says that their uh, their culture is based on on honor. That's, wow. <laughs> we do. That's just, <laughs> Can we do anything something. with that? <laughs> you know, so it's like you cut back to the Enterprise. You know you've got three people on this ship that's starting to implode, but the level of urgency on the Enterprise is 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 lax at best yeah <laughs> that's something i gotta take a shit I was, <laughs> just like walks off it hey, is hey hey trip listen to this kapla <laughs> that's weird huh 
it's um it's true i it's what do you think those bumps mean trip it's almost like they need on their head there <laughs> think they mean anything what do you think they do it's almost like they needed a uh the version of this episode that would add tension there is you have another Klingon ship out with the Enterprise that's simultaneously trying to rescue the other Klingon ship or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's there's a little bit of tension that the Enterprise is under at that point. Um, yeah, like uh, let's say so so they're in that the whatever they're in uh, what is it? Uh, it's a gas giant gas or giant. something. They're in the big Jupiter. So you've got big Jupiter. Yeah, uh, that was the name of my my ska funk band. <laughs> it's <in high> my. <laughs> This this uh, Klingon ship is being pulled uh, down into Big Jupiter and is going to be destroyed. So the Enterprise has to go in up, but there's also a Klingon ship in there. But they can't talk to each other because of the the the, the uh, distortion of the atmosphere they're in. Yep. So that sets up a tense situation because the Klingon ship thinks the Enterprise is actively antagonizing the the other yep. the. the the distressed Klingon ship. So the, the new Klingon ship starts shooting at them, but they can't hit them because they can't target them because of whatever. But you've got Archer trying to defuse the situation while he's got photon torpedoes whizzing past the ship. Yeah. You know, that kind of something like that. I think it's just another episode that sort of would have benefited from if they weren't able to translate the Klingons perfectly at this point. There's still like a sort of lost in translation aspect to the relationship between them. I know that they mm-hmm. try to play that off as it's a big cultural difference that the Klingons will never understand you. Even if you're speaking the same language, they're never going to understand what you're after out there. Yeah. I don't mind that. I just think that adding a Klingon ship to that situation would have added a little bit of incentive for Archer to have to come up with a solution to how you deal with these people in a way that wasn't just like, we've got a Klingon chained to a chair in sickbay. How do I get her to like admit that she can go back to the ship for me? It just feels like the stakes aren't really important enough uh, for that. And, and and even the big idea that he has is not super interesting. He just kind of comes in and goes, hey, it'd be kind of shitty if those guys died this way, huh? Yeah. And she's like, yes, you're right. I will help you. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Without dishonor. I think that's why I like the ending thing where he's just like, go get your fucking shoebox like, with your dishonor or whatever. It does the uh, Goodfellas routine to him and just is like, you know, you got nothing at this point, so how about you just yeah. leave? I think that that yeah. works a little bit better. Let's see. I think we're done. Let's take a break. We'll play a quote from the episode, and then we'll come back. We'll read some patron thoughts and give our final thoughts about sleeping dogs. You wouldn't last 10 seconds in a battle with us. You've got multiple hull breaches. Your shields are down, and from what I'm told, you're fresh out of torpedoes. If I were you, I'd take what little honor I had left and go home. Fire one shot, and I'll blast you right back to where we found you. They're moving off. Get us out of here before their friends show up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're a patron of the show, special thank you to you. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff, extra podcasts, extra behind-the-scenes things, polls, all that good stuff that sort of drives the channel. And it's much appreciated and very kind and very generous of everybody. And special thank you to the $10 Captain patrons 
Alec DeWolf, Andrew Cholog, Ben Douglas, Captain Brazen, Cardinal Doomsday, Chris Tinsley, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Mosk, David Beamore, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Eric's Antoine, HH28, Jake123, Jakey's Gamer, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Lowry, Kevin Rice, Mad Courier 6, Matt Cutler, Matt Houston, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Mike Harris, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Eric Sergi, Robert uh, Flox is a big blue dick, Russell Elledge, <laughs> Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean, Stephen Minton, Tark Latif, Tom Hiles, and Vault 13 Hero. Is that his? Is that his official name? On That's his Patreon official now? Patreon name at this point. I might have stomped. I think he has a joke coming up, and I might have stomped all over that. But it'll, it'll still land. I think we we just have to <laughs> we have to prevent Kyle from ever successfully initiating a joke. I think going forward. Mm. Thank you, patrons. Very kind patron thoughts here before we get to our own. There's only five because no one gives a shit about this episode, it seems. <laughs> uh, Captain Brazen says, Kapla, success to Wes and Clay for sitting through yet another wretched Klingon episode of Enterprise. There were a few enjoyable small story beats and moments wrapped into this plot that are somewhat nice. Malcolm catching a cold in the beginning was out of left field, but I smirked when he couldn't smell the awful Klingon smell. I mean, the... It's such uh, a long way to go for that ham sandwich, it, it, that That's the... Beside the outrageously bad, I have a cold acting from... Uh, Malcolm Reed. <laughs> it's really terrible. That that it's a it's a lot of setup just to be like I don't smell the stink. Like, yeah, why? Like it, it's it almost it would have been one of those things. Like if the disease was airborne, his cold or something would be his antibody to it. Like you, you like sure. Malcolm didn't get sick because he has a cold or something. Although I was glad that it takes him a little while to pay off. He does bring up the fact. How did I get a cold when we're on this hermetically shield, right. sealed ship? I was, I was like, how are they, they yeah. going to explain that he has a cold? Yeah. In the era, or, of, you know, era of coronavirus, we're all hyper aware of like what the logistics of a virus being on a ship would be. I know. As soon as he said that, I was like, well, I mean, he, he's clearly not wiping down everything he touches before he touches it, <laughs> as, as we all do now in the 21st century. Uh, um, I, uh, yeah, or you could have him, when he gets to the ship, his cold is, is, is worse and so he becomes incapacitated in some way. I don't know. Right. It's 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 dumb. Regardless, he, it's it's only there for that one joke, and it's yeah. And also, what a uh, a pampered life we live in the twenty third or twenty second century, or whatever, is where he gets a cold, and it's like I need to go to the emergency room for this cold. <laughs> like this is this is out of control. Is that, how stuffy I am. Is it also? Is that also a camera wink? Because isn't. It, don't at some point in in Star Trek history, and, and by history I mean just in the show or the movies at some point, they mention that they've found the cure for the common cold? No, I remember it's a runner that they still have not cured the common cold. It's still oh, something okay. that maybe, people get. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Um, back to this comment. If, uh, if Vulcans have an irritation towards what humans smell like, I can't imagine how T'Pol is dealing with this new smell that they've discovered. Her concentration on teaching Hoshi meditation techniques while smelling the targ-filled galleries is astounding, but at this point, isn't Hoshi becoming a badass a lost cause? An A-plus for the effort, I suppose. I also chuckled at the landing party all drawing their phase pistols simultaneously at the word Klingon. They've learned the proper response to dealing with Klingons rather than their unqualified Boy Scout diplomat captain. Using photon Mm. torpedoes to gain altitude is ingenious, and yet again we end with another visit to a mildly suggestive sauna-like decon chamber. What's the appeal of this place again? Oh, sex smells. Three half-naked cast members out of five. Have you uh, watched any of that Space Force show at all? No, because the reviews are uh, terrible. Have you watched some? Oh, of them? are they? I watched. We watched like the first episode and a half. It's it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but there's a. They have a, a satellite that goes into orbit that the uh, uh, solar panel wings on the side get snipped by a competing Chinese satellite. Yep. 
and they're trying to work up uh, ideas on how to fix it. And the one that Steve Carell puts forth is just bomb with a question mark next to it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's actually worked in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Espinosa says, Sleeping Dogs paint by numbers rescue, excuse me, plot with some fun Klingon action. I'm liking Archer more and more as the bloom is off the rose. Remind me not to rescue anyone else. I also enjoyed Archer learning to think like a Klingon. And we got to see Targs. The last scene with T'Pol, Hoshi, and Reed was strange. So the sonic shower is like a sauna. Three CGI Targs out of five. Yeah, I, I thought they were in the de- I think they're in the decon chamber. That's not just like a shower so. room. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, they're all glittery. And they're talking to flocks about how they're still dirty and they need to stand yeah. there for a little bit. Neil Brennan says, Sleeping Dogs, the only thing worse than actors pretending to be drunk is actors pretending to have a cold. Delighted to see the show getting back to its horny roots. But in all seriousness, you guys are good at this stuff. What's the best use of the Klingons for storytelling purposes? When do they shine and when is it just the same over-familiar tropes? Yeah, I think I, I think the... The problem is that they are too overexposed in this show. They they are they're too uh they're using them no different than they use them in any other show. But yeah. they have the opportunity to treat them differently and make them more of an unknown entity that has more edge to it. Um <clears throat> maybe not as much as I don't know if you have to, if they have to go as far as they did in Discovery. Um But yeah, there's there's opportunity there to to do something different, but they're just it's just like another episode of the Klingons on TNG. Yeah, I think with a um, where where you can kind of justify running into the Klingons on TNG. I think for a prequel series like Enterprise, you have to have a very good reason for running into the Klingons and interacting with them, uh, because otherwise it just kind of spoils that relationship between them. Where you're you're not really supposed to know that much about them. Like you've never gone mm-hmm. to Kronos, or then they have in Broken Bow. Um, you're not supposed to like be really all that familiar. They're supposed to be just incredibly hostile to you. Um, and they're not here. I mean, I think that the, the best use of the Klingons for storytelling is that I think, I think, I think the only way the Klingons really excel in storytelling is when you have Worf because Worf is Mm -hmm. the key to that world while also being human enough to show you that it's kind of ridiculous what the Klingons are are up to when they're just stock bad guys like they were in TOS or they are kind of here there's nothing really interesting about their culture like I don't think there's ever been a episode of across any of the franchise or series where the Klingon outlook is shown to be kind of a superior outlook in terms of humans' outlook on things. Right. Like the Klingons yeah. are always laughed at. It's always like they're wrong. Every They're always wrong about everything. But I don't think there's ever been a story where without Worf modulating what the Klingons are saying into something palatable, that the Klingon approach is proven to have some sort of merit to it. And I think that's a downside to the Klingons. Yeah. yeah. It's a very hard really sell. It's of. hard to sell this sort of yeah. bloodthirsty race as having any kind of... but. Like I guess in a war storyline, I think that you could have a the Klingons don't abandon a lost ally when objectively it's probably better that like the the humans would pull out of a planet or something if mm-hmm. the Dominion were taking over it. But the Klingons have a perspective of like we don't give up. We basically never leave anyone behind, and it's wrong for you to run and leave these people like this. I think that's a point yeah. you can do with the Klingons. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think. The closest they come to something that's more positive is even though it's kind of a roundabout way to get there. The Deep Space Nine episode, um, 
with uh, Dax where she joins the uh, <clears throat> the revenge mission. Oh, the blood bloodlust or whatever that yeah, episode's I, called. Like that, I, I feel like they they are not portrayed as correct, but they are portrayed in a more um, straight up honorable way. I think than uh, uh, like the 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 positive honorable outlook, if I remember correctly, comes as a response to the Klingons being treated like a joke yep. because they are old, older and, and it's, it's like, ah, don't listen to that fucking guy. Yeah. And but they're avenging the murder of their friends and family, I think, because that right, albino character right. killed them or something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit more respect given there. Uh, but generally, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're tough to handle when you, when you delve into them because I think they work better as a, uh, uh, as a more, Oddly enough, they work better as a more surface level kind of character yeah. set. Yeah, I do. Of all the of all the callbacks they could have made in this show with the Klingons, I wish uh, in that first episode where they have to go to Kronos, uh, Archer was telling them that or something, but he didn't know what the name of the planet was. So he was like, "We have to go to their home planet." I, I don't know, Kling. Yeah, <laughs> is that what it's called? <laughs> Write it down. Write it down. The Klingons are just looking at each other. Uh, Flox's Big Blue Dick says, Sleeping Dogs, a decent spiritual sequel to Fight or Flight when it comes to Hoshi's continuing growth, but overall the episode is as unremarkable as they come. In fact, it may be the most forgettable episode of the series. I have seen it four times over the years, but I have no memory of it before watching it this time, and even now the details are quickly becoming hazy. Other than Kading's bad cold acting, it's a bog-standard installment. Three brilliant yet underappreciated Watchmen references out of five. A lot of threes. It is a three. It's a it's a bad three, though. We'll con- continue yeah. here. I think we have one more comment. We do. Sleeping Dogs. The crew finds some Klingons in trouble. The humans act like humans. The Klingons act like humans. I'm not sure what even happens here. Not much. It's very forgettable. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty much the comments from everybody. And we only have five. Yeah, that's it. So there's only five comments. No one really cares about Sleeping Dogs. And also, what do you have to say about this episode? Well, it was the next one on the list. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a th- I'm gonna it's a week three for me. It's like yeah. a very week three. It's basically a two, but it has like there's no real problems with it. I mean, th- what's funny to me is that it's called Sleeping Dogs, right? That comes from Let Sleeping Dogs Lie, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the interesting tact you have here. Like whether or not you're supposed to, Archer is supposed to interfere with the Klingons or just let them sure. let them be by themselves and like what the the upside is, but I don't think the episode really stresses that that there's any kind of conflict about like I want thirty minutes of T'Pol and Archer debating the merits of whether or not this is worth helping this group if they don't want the help in the first place and that they would rather right. die from it and instead right. it's yeah. just a stock action sequence, not even action, it's just a stock stuck on a ship thing yeah there's a, you could you could argue that there is some interesting follow-up as far as the prime directive conversation in the last episode right is that the last episode? yeah yep. uh, Dear in, Doctor, yeah in this in this one because it's like well i mean we've had contact with them but do we still have any right to violate their culture yep i don't know yeah or just it's our we have we have to save them because if if we don't Six million years from now, they could go extinct. <laughs> I feel like Archer, Archer having the perspective of trying to make friends with this group makes sense for Archer's character, I think, as to be like, mm-hmm. I'll be the guy who broaches this 
relationship that the Vulcans are unable. The Vulcans have given up on trying to have a relationship right. with the Klingons. I will be the person right. who extends the olive branch and we really work something. And the Klingons are just like, go fuck yourself, buddy. Like, this isn't what we're into. Right. It's Archer yeah. learning that not everything is the same kind of situation. I think that that applies. And that, like, that's <laughs> after they tell him to go fuck himself. He comes away going, hmm, well, this time you talked to me. You didn't even talk to me last time, so we're making headway here. That's right. And I, I think that's a that's a decent Archer subplot or something. That's a decent Archer runner, I think, to have across that if you're going to have the Klingons in it. Cool. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. I give it a three. Clay, you give it a three as well, or are you going two? I think I'm going to go two. All right. Because I, yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> I have to I, I have to make an example out of this episode, I think. I have to put my foot down a little bit because it's it is fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, but it's a bad fine. We yeah. we spitballed more interesting ideas in the span of this podcast that any one of them could have added something to make this a better episode. Um Maybe that's the weakness again, there, yeah. 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 I, again I know making television is very difficult mm-hmm. and it's possible that the script for this, the original script, was much different. I don't know. But as and hindsight it stands, is twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. But as it stands, it's just it's a it's 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 a fine workmanlike constructed episode, but it's not memorable in any way. I'm gonna give it a two. I think you've somewhat convinced like I I think that the fact that it's not about anything is a flaw enough where it's not yeah. it's not adequate. Um so yeah. I think I'll give it a two as well. It's it's not very good. Yeah, it's too bad because like the the idea of them exploring Klingon culture, like we said, it for the first time, is interesting in theory, but it's not really. They don't really do anything with it other than have them essentially page you know flip through the Klingon guide to a, a vacation on Kronos. Yeah, you they, know, they chronologically like, oh, meet the Klingons in this. Yes, you know yeah, it's like yeah. it's like the, we know that this these characters have to talk about how weird the stuff that they eat is. That's enough for an episode, right? And it's like you need right. you need more than that. It's not just about yeah. meeting the Klingons for the first time. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, thank you very much. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. Uh, the Penske file.com slash links if you're looking for all the social media links. That's down below. And Clay, do you have anything you want to say? You should have a new um, run horror coming out tomorrow. Yep, we got it. We're doing uh, House of the Devil as a follow up to last episode where we did the Innkeepers, both by Ty West. And uh, next week is the return of the Badass Podcast. Oh, good! It's a badass, and is we back. will be doing. Yeah, we'll be doing um, again, as you said last episode. The the one show that has a changing schedule every time we do it. Each season it's gonna is going to now different. be each season is different. Keep things fresh. Uh, it's now going to be uh, biweekly, so it's going to be Rotten Horror one week and then Badass the following week, and you know continue like that. It's no longer a podcast. It's now a blog. That's written. It's yes, an oral history yeah. conversation between Clint and Sean. That's transcribed. Yeah, it's eventually it's going to be. Uh, it's no longer. No longer Batman. We're not putting out episodes. We need you to come. If you come and talk to us at a, at a comic convention, we will happily talk about an episode that you want us to talk about. <laughs> Is that going out Wednesday? It would make sense to go out Wednesday. Uh, sure. I think just to, just because Wednesday never has anything on it. So Ron yeah, Horry could do be it Tuesday Wednesday. and that could be Wednesday. All right, so you can look forward to that. That'll lock on eight. And then you'll have something every week besides Star Trek. Uh, so the weeks that are missing a Rotten Horror, you're going to have a badass and then Star Trek continues, as always. Uh, the next episode is Fusion. Is that the next episode? Let me see here. 
Shuttlepod one. Shuttlepod one. So don't leave the keys in the shuttle pod. I know. It's a bad, 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 bad take. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the podcast more than the episode. Pretty weak episode. I apologize for starting off with such low energy, but I was I I have no notes for this one. We we <laughs> talked about we talked about Dark Knight Rises more than we talked about this episode. <laughs> Hopefully, which is funny. Maybe people were missing. I thought there was a comment from one of the patrons last week that was like, "I see, dear doctor, as a dividing line. Everything after this is fantastic." Do I? Am I oh, misremembering that comment? I might be. I, I thought I had read a comment where someone was saying that that dear doctor was like the high point for a while. Oh, and then, maybe, it's, then maybe, it falls down after dear doctor. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm misremembering. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Looking forward to this. So. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek Enterprise is done with. Uh, I'm really look. I'm just looking forward to taking some of these episodes and really blast. You know, really destroying them. You know, yeah, I know. We got to get those clicks up, man. We got to start being angry at this show. <laughs> I'll come up with. I'll come up with some sort of uh, some angle that we can take on it. But if we is it too late? If we started, <laughs> we should do an experiment. It's it, maybe maybe we should save this for the. Uh, uh, third season of Discovery, but I was going to say, is this is it too late? Where if if when we tweet about these, one of us tweets saying it's the greatest version of Star Trek I've ever watched in my life, yeah, and the the other one tweets saying it's a travesty. And uh, click on the show <laughs> if, if you click on this link if you want to see us absolutely destroy it and see which one gets like more press. Yes, yeah, no, it, I mean the. Uh the views definitely indicate that like there are episodes that people come in to hear, obviously, mm-hmm. which is not really a surprising thing, but it is um it's probably split, but I would be interested to see like which one even if it was just a social media experiment to see like who clicked to the link that was positive or negative, not like total list, mm-hmm. but like to see which one actually generated more uh, interest in it. But yeah. Because um, I mean, people you, you might see think. through you trying to play up Sleeping Dogs and be like, Clay has <laughs> lost his goddamn mind. Hey, it's a considered, deliberate exploration of culture, okay? <laughs> Which is not something that you're going to get from any of these other shows, okay? Never, never in the history of Star Trek has Star Trek covered something with such uh, uh, care about the differences in cultural and social norms as they do in this episode of Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> we should just start Star Trek the bullshit podcast and just uh Oh, I was thinking if if you uh, the way that like uh uh CBS retweets people that praise you know, the show. Praise uh Discovery, we could just do that. I know. And just take in the traffic because it's not like they're listening to the show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's not to say that season three of Discovery is going to be bad. No. Because it could very well be very good. Although, season three is the charm for Star Trek, it seems. Did you see my retweet yesterday of Trek Corps tweeted about... Um, <clears throat> no, I didn't. Burnham's, uh, Burnham's rank and command track has changed like numerous times over the series. I wasn't even really aware. Like She starts off in the command as a commander, which I remember. She got demoted, mm-hmm. put on Discovery switched over to the sciences track and got a new mm-hmm. rank then got reinstated back to commander at that point but now in season three she's back to the command colors which is the gold colors again so she stepped away from the science thing it just reminded me of that that point you had where you're like you were unaware that burnham was an anthropologist basically and it's like when, when right. do they say that it's just right. so 
it's so thematically appropriate that that character is just has no like slot in life really like it's mm. like she's not just science she's like in command she does whatever needs to happen it's it's not that burnham is fundamentally like i'm not gonna say she's the mary sue character it's just the writing has no idea how to like stick her in one direction going forward right. and so they're like you can yeah. do whatever you want really just like you can literally be in any position that you want and it, it's not going to matter it's and not that it's it's bad that they move them around. It just I think it just speaks to the confusion about what these characters are supposed to be on that show when they when they just kind of fidget them and put them in the new slots all the time. Yeah, she's really interesting because she is a character who might have the biggest resume of character traits that don't matter yeah. in the stories that right. they tell. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like so oh, she's she's Spock's half sister. Cool. Does that come into play? Nah, not really. Uh, she was raised, raised by, by Klingon, yeah. raised by Vulcans. Does that come into play? Nah, yeah. Not really. Yeah. I mean, not in any way that matters. Anyway, you know, it obviously does come into play, but it's not it's not a defining characteristic. It's yeah. just like, well, we need an episode with Sarek, so we'll talk about how Sarek raised her this yeah. time. Oh, she's an she's not she's not an emotionally damaged human, which is the way that I thought yeah. they were going to take that yeah. character, which is being raised by Vulcans is somewhat unhealthy for humans. Yeah, she's, she's an not. anthropologist. Does that really matter? No, 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 it doesn't really ever come up. Yeah. Oh, she's a commander. Does that ever come up? Not really. Oh, she uh, she's actually a war criminal. Does that ever come up? Eh, briefly, but then they kind of like hand wave it. Yeah. It's like, oh, all right. I know. All right, guys, we'll call it there for a day. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.